Welcome today to Life Church on Easter weekend. I am so glad that you are joining with us and with me. This Easter is going to be unlike any other Easter that you probably have ever experienced, but it's going to be a great Easter weekend because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has risen from the grave and we celebrate that. And, uh, and so don't forget that hope that we have in him today, we are celebrating that. I, 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 wanna, I wanna take you to the book of Romans. If you would turn to Romans chapter five, there's, there's a verse that's been going over and over and over in my head this week. And it's just a phrase. And uh, it's that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet lost in our sin, while we were yet doing our own thing, while we were yet completely outside of the realm of God's grace, that's when Jesus Christ died for you and for me. And I've been thinking about that this weekend on this, 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 this time of the death and the burial and the resurrection and the power that that brings. What's interesting about that is I began to research and look and began to do some reading. And, and, and that particular verse, I'm going to get to it in just a minute, but it's found in verse 8. It's predicated upon hope. It's, it's based upon hope. And, and, and as I began to, 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 to think about that and pray about that and process that, I, I, I know that, you know, I'm living in the same world that you're living in. And, uh, and right now today, I'm preaching to an empty room. Uh, but I'm literally preaching to thousands of people. You. Because the church is not about steeples and stained glass or the houses that are built by men. But it's hearts and lives of men and women, boys and girls, and we're the church and there's hope. There's hope in that. We're two or more gathered together in Jesus' name, there he is. And, and, and the Bible says that this death, burial and resurrection of Christ is built upon a hope that does not disappoint. Verse five and verse six, I'm gonna get to it in just a second, says that this hope doesn't disappoint. And I'm thinking about the hope that's disappointing in our world right now. I mean, when is, when is this ban going to be lifted? When is the stay in shelter going to be changed? When are we going to be able to get these kids out of the house, amen, or at least get them to school, get them educated? Uh, you know, when, when are we going to be able to, to get back to work? And, and, and when's a furlough going to be lifted? Some of you, you're facing some financial uncertainties and, and there's been things that are happening. Some of you, you're facing some stresses and strains at home that, that are just because of this, 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 COVID-19, this coronavirus and how we're having to respond to it in unprecedented ways. Some of you, it's depression and anxiety and all these things. It feels sometimes hopeless or helpless because of its uncertainty. It's disappointing because one week you think maybe this is it and then it's another week and it's another month and it's another, you fill in the blank. But I wanna remind you that on this Easter weekend, as we celebrate, a risen savior, we have a hope that does not disappoint. And I wanna unpack that for a few minutes. Now, next week, I hope that you'll join me back because we're going to go into a series between now and Mother's Day called Stretched Thin because I know there are some real issues that you're dealing with and I'm dealing with, real feelings and emotions. How do we navigate that as Christ followers? What does God's word say about the fear that's in our world or the frustration that we're dealing with? What are some positive things that we can do? And, and, and how, how do we live out our faith? And um, and again, Life Church, you're doing such an amazing job serving in the community and, and serving people and helping people and just being faithful to, 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 to honor God with your time and your talents and your treasure. And I can't, just your generosity is amazing. 
But I know we're real people and I know that we have real feelings and real emotions. And so I'm gonna unpack that. So I hope you'll join with me next weekend as I begin to talk about being stretched thin and what do we do in these times? And then my wife, Tammy, is gonna, gonna bring an incredible word for Mother's Day. It's gonna be great. You don't wanna miss that as well. And we're just, again, we're gonna be the church. But today I wanna talk to you about this hope that does not disappoint. Romans chapter five, Verse number six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says this. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That'd be all of us. Verse seven, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse nine, more much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Hope that doesn't disappoint. I wanna kind of unpack this for a minute because this is what we celebrate on this Easter weekend. Paul says in the beginning of verse six, he says, now hope does not disappoint because of the love of God. This hope that doesn't disappoint, it's different than any type of hope in our world. Hope in our world is, is, is so fleeting and it's not based upon anything, but the hope that we're talking about, the hope that we have in God, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the hope that we celebrate this Easter weekend, it's built on God. It's built on him. It's built on his love for us, which has no beginning and has no ending. It, it, it's so big, you can't get over it. So low, you can't get under it. So wide, you can't get around it. it it's, it's here before we were ever here and here. Well, when eternity ends, God love, his love still exists. And so the hope that we have is built upon that. It's built upon something that's immovable and unshakable. This is the reason why I think it's one of the greatest times in my lifetime to be a Christ follower. Because people are finding out that their hope that they've put in their favorite sports team or their hope that they put into the market or their hope that they put into a job or their hope that they put into whatever, it's gone. Or at least it's not what it was. Up today, down tomorrow, it'll come back. Maybe, maybe not, whatever. But what's the one thing in all of this? What's the one common denominator in all of this? It's God's love never changes. His word never changes. And so when Paul says that we have this hope, it doesn't disappoint because it's not built by man. It's not made on something that man made. It's built on God. It's built on his love for us. And if you don't hear me say anything else today, understand this. That's what's so amazing about this Easter weekend is that when we were yet in our sin and we were yet in our rebellion and we were yet in our blindness towards God, that's when God loved us. And that love has no beginning. It has no ending. It's eternal. It's everlasting. And there is a hope that never disappoints, ever disappoints. So let's unpack this a little bit more. Here's why it doesn't disappoint. I'm so glad you asked that question. First of all, it's that God loves us even though we're sinners. God loves us even though we are sinners. Paul describes our character here. He says, first of all, in verse six, it's powerless. 
It's powerless. We, we don't have any strength or power to improve our own condition. And the sooner that we admit that we are powerless, the sooner we allow God's power to change us. Second thing he says about our character and, and this latter part of verse six is that we were ungodly. In due time, he says, Christ died for the ungodly. What does ungodly mean? It's, it's, uh, it means it's, it's speaking of all the positive attributes that God has his love and his faith and his goodness and his kindness and his mercy are all the exact opposite of what's true of you and me. We are the exact opposite. Our sin nature, the exact opposite. God is perfect, we're imperfect. God is forgiving, yet we hold grudges. God is selfless, yet you and I can be so selfish. We're ungodly. In verse 10, he says that we are actually enemies of God. That doesn't mean that God is at war with us or that we're at war with him, but it's talking about how our sin and our sin nature has actually severed that relationship between us and him, putting us on opposite sides of the playing field, putting us on opposite sides, making us enemies, if you would, with God. But then he, Paul, basically kind of juxtaposes, he compares and contrasts our character of powerlessness and ungodliness and, and being enemies of God with God's character, which is love. God has many characters, but we know in the book of First John, God is love. That's who he is. And in verse eight, he really expands upon this. He, he really opens this up that, 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 that the reason why God loved us so much that he gave Jesus and the reason why Jesus loved us so much that he died for us when we were yet sinners was because of his love. What's so amazing about God's love? Why, why is this the love that, that brings hope that doesn't disappoint? Because first of all, God loves us first. We don't love God first, God loves first. His holiness versus our sinfulness. God makes the first move. He initiates reconciliation. He doesn't wait for you and I he, to, to, to clean up our act or to, to get good enough. I've heard people say that, man, when I get good enough, I'll come to God. When I get my stuff together, I'll come to God. No, no, God doesn't. God loved you and I first. When we were yet sinners, Christ loved us. Secondly, when talking about the love of God is God's love is unconditional. He loves us unconditionally. God doesn't love us because we're lovable. God loves us because it's his character. It's his nature. It's just who he is. Again, God is infinite. He has no beginning. He has no ending. God is all powerful. He's all knowing. He's all present. It's just his very existence. And the hope that you and I have in Jesus Christ on this Easter weekend, that a God that loved us, that gave his one and only son for us, that died on the cross and that rose again, and we celebrate that, that's built upon something that is God's character of love demonstrated by Jesus' death. God, his love, not only is it first, not only is it unconditional, but it saves us. Once we realize how much God loves us, and wants to clean and, 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 and really loves us and cares for us right where we are. We're drawn to that. Remember, it's not the judgment of God that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness. It's his love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the first thing is that we see is that, is that the reason why this, this, this hope doesn't disappoint is that God loves us. Second thing is, is that Jesus died for us, even though we're sinners. 
Jesus died for us. Look at verse seven. Very few people will die to save the life of someone. Although perhaps for a good person, some might possibly die. Who would you die for? Think about that for a minute. Who would you die for? Who, seriously, who would you give your life up for? If there's anybody on the list, it'd be very, very, very short. Maybe it's a, your children. Maybe it's a spouse. Ask an even more deeper question. Who would die for you? I mean, you know you. You know all of your junk and all your problems and all your issues. You know all your idiosyncrasies. You're probably your own worst critic, to be really honest. Who would die for you? That's what Paul's saying is, is that Jesus died for us. Think of verse eight again. But God demonstrates his love towards us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That phrase, God, Christ died for us, means in our place. He died as our substitute. We should have died, yet he died for us. When you look at, the, at Christ's death, there's basically two elements to the death of Christ. First is he was our substitute. It's the substitutionary death of Jesus. He took our place. Why? Because God demanded that there be a sacrifice of blood that was pure in order for the ransom of our sin to be met. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 22 says this. In fact, the law, speaking of the Old Testament, the Levitical law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So God demanded that blood would be shed for sins to be forgiven. And when Jesus died as a substitute for you and for me, he was taking our place. It was his blood that was shed. Look at verse nine of Romans chapter five. It says much more than having now been justified by his blood. You and I are guilty of the death of Jesus. It's our sin that nailed him to the cross. But God loves you and me so much that he's willing to allow Jesus, his one and only son to die as our substitute. So the first part of the death of Jesus is that he was our substitute. The second part is that he took our wrath. The wrath that God had for sin, not the wrath he had for you or for me. God loves you, God loves me, but God hates sin. He doesn't hate you, he doesn't hate the sinner, he hates sin. You, whatever you've done, are not defined by your sin. You're defined by the grace of God, amen. I'm telling you, I'm preaching way better than you're shouting right now, even at home. You're not defined by your sin. You're not defined because you've done X, Y, Z. Therefore you are. No, 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 no. We're not defined by our sin. We're defined by the grace of God. But God had a wrath for sin, not for humanity, not for us, not for Jesus, but he had a wrath for sin. And that wrath had to go somewhere. And that's what he's saying in verse nine, that Jesus not only substituted himself to die on the cross for us, to give us this hope that doesn't disappoint. But he also took on the wrath of God for sin. Six hours, Jesus is hanging on the cross. Three of those hours in total darkness from noon until three o'clock in our time. For six hours, Jesus absorbed this wrath of God. He experienced hell for you and me. 
well, why would you call it hell? Well, because when you look at what he did and how he did it, it's really what hell is. First of all, hell is darkness. So from noon to three o'clock, it became as midnight in the noonday. Why? Because God turned his own face away from his son because he could not look upon him. Jesus was in outer darkness. That's how hell is described. Secondly, hell is torment. So there was physical torment that Jesus went through. I mean, he says so much as when he's on the cross, he cries out speaking of his physical being and such anguish when he says, I thirst. And the spiritual torment, when he who knew no sin became sin for you and I, and he took on the sins of every person in this world, there was this spiritual weight of that sin upon him. Hell. And hell is separation from God ultimately. The worst torment is a separation from God because there's no sense of God's presence. When God turns his face away, when God looks away from his one and only son, when he basically leaves Jesus to die on the cross alone, you and I've never had that. As bad as this world may be right now and as crazy as it may be right now, there is still very much a sense of the presence of God. Every time we read in scripture, when, when Noah's on the ark and when Daniel is in the lion's den and, and, and when the children of Israel are, 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 are in Egypt during the plagues and, 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 and all that's going on, God's presence is still there. Even in the 400 silent years between the beginning of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, and when Jesus begins to cry, his very first breath and, 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 and the birth of Christ was recorded in Matthew's gospel chapter one. Those 400 years where God doesn't speak, there's no recording of God speaking. His presence is still there. But those three hours on the cross, that, 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 that utter darkness, that torment was also a time where Jesus was completely separated from the presence of God. Darkness, torment, separation from God. Jesus experienced hell for you and for me. God's wrath fell on him as my substitute. So why do I have hope that doesn't disappoint? Because God loved me even when I was a sinner and Jesus died for me even when I was a sinner. But it doesn't end there. Because verse 10 tells us that Jesus' death brings you and I life. Look at it, verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You and I have life. No longer are we an enemy of God, but we are a friend of God. Look, look, look at the verbiage that's used in verse 10. When we were enemies, past tense, we were reconciled, past tense. It, it speaks of what Paul will go on to write to the church in Colossae in Colossians chapter one, verse 22. But now God has made you his friends again. He did this through Christ's death in the body so that he might bring you into God's presence as people who are holy. We are no longer an enemy of God. We are friends of God. There is life. Secondly, my debt's been paid. Think about that. My debt has been paid. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because I owed a debt that I could not pay. My debt has been paid in full, forgiven, forgotten. God remembers it no more. He takes your sin. He takes your debt and he takes it and casts it far as the east is from the west. The east and the west never meet. He 
completely forgives it and he completely forgets about it. It's been paid. It's like someone coming to you and saying, hey, the biggest bill that you have, the biggest debt load that you have, it's forgiven. That thing that's bringing you pressure and anxiety that maybe you created, maybe you didn't create, maybe you were born into it as sin or maybe you created it because of sin. But all of a sudden God comes and says, it's forgiven. You are now free. You can go, go and sin no more. It's that fact that your debt has been paid. Life. And he goes, and, and, and we have life because I now live not in myself, but in Jesus. That's what verse 10 says. I have life through Jesus. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but now Christ lives in me. Life. So we have hope today. On this Easter weekend, we celebrate hope today. And not hope that the world gives. The world, hope that the world gives disappoints. You can't count on it. But the hope that God gives, because it's based upon him, it doesn't disappoint. And God shows it to us. And that while we were yet sinners, he loved us. Jesus showed it to us because while we were yet sinners, he died for us. This hope that doesn't disappoint brings you and I life today and forever. So before we wrap this up today, I, I wanna take a minute and I want you to see a 21st century version of what Paul was talking about 2000 years ago as he wrote this letter to the church in Rome. I want you to see the story of a man who attends Life Church. See how God has done this work of hope that doesn't disappoint in his own life. Check this out. <laughs> 